Please take your Bibles. Let's turn to Luke chapter 24. This is the... Sorry, I pushed the button too soon. This is the um, kind of final of our Lucan accounts as we start in Advent season and we come now to Easter, the highest day of the Christian year, and we come to the resurrection account. And it's an amazing, amazing story. The question, of course, and, and the title that I've given actually comes from the words of Scripture itself. These words seem to them to be an idle tale. When the women came and told them that he had risen from the dead, these words seemed to them to be an idle tale. Now, I don't know how you decide what's true and what's not true. For example, how do you deal with fake emails from Amazon and Costco and CNN? When you look at the return address, of course, you know that they're not from them. They come from somebody else who's trying to get your information or your engagement so they can deceive you in some way. I found that I now just don't even pay attention to them. I just delete them. I don't even read them. But it made me stop and think. What if the real CNN is trying to reach me? I don't know why they would want to, but what if they're trying to reach me? And it's really an email from them. How would they distinguish themselves from the fake ones that we get hour after hour, day after day? How would I know it's true? Why wouldn't I just think it's a little bit more of that internet nonsense, like everything else? Now, of course, if it was just a matter of emails, then you and I could just say, well, who cares? I don't want an email from CNN anyway. But the problem is not just with emails. The problem has to do with how do you know something is true? How do you trust something? What if, for example, you were there when your beloved rabbi was excruciatingly killed on a cross? You watched him die. You were with the others who went to the place where they entombed him. You watched them wrap the cloth and lay him in the tomb. You watched the rock rolled into place, huge. You watched the soldiers being assigned to guard it. And what if then, after you saw all of that, a close friend comes running up breathless and says to you, he's alive. Our teacher is alive. Would you just delete it? It's nonsense. It's got to be a scam. There's no way that a person who's died can be alive. And certainly not after three days of being dead. And if you don't just ignore the claim of this trusted friend who's never lied before, then what would you do? What would you need to check out whether the impossible has in fact happened? Whether nonsense can make sense? Whether life can overcome death? Would it have helped if the teacher, your rabbi, had told you that he was going to come back from the dead? What if he had told you that before it happened? Would that make it easier or harder? To believe? Would such a wild claim cause you to question kind of 
the sanity of your teacher? Would you question other things that he said? And if you ran to the tomb and you found the tomb empty, would that prove anything? Does darkness prove light? Does emptiness prove life? The celebration that is Easter, the truth that Jesus ended the reign of death and ushered in a new time, the time of resurrection, the time of eternal life, the moment when time itself was forever redefined, the moment when what we call nonsense, idle tales, delirious claims proved to be true. The celebration of Easter opens the world to a whole new reality, a new testimony, a new testament on the meaning of life. So on this Easter, we're going to go back just a few thousand years and we're going to put ourselves in the place of the women and the disciples who early that first Easter morning, although they didn't know it was going to be an Easter morning, the first day of the week, they took spices. They wanted to change the aroma of the body. But they found instead an empty tomb. And let's go back to the disciples. Let's be with them in that room when those eyewitnesses come running up and tell us what they've seen. He's not dead. He's risen. Would we believe it or delete it? Nine out of 11 that day deleted it. The polls were wrong. The physician Luke did a, a detailed report on all of this and he wrote it down. So let's go to Luke chapter 24. We're going to start with the first verse and just go through the, the 12th. The Anastasia, that's the Greek word for resurrection. The Anastasia of Jesus. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the, to the apostles. But these words seemed to the apostles as an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping, and as Doug says, the tomb, which is the most meaningful, you have to stoop to get in, the door is only about four feet high, Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Keep that open before you and let's pray. Jesus, 
It is absolutely amazing that life transcends death itself, that this world is not the end, that you usher us into your care. Jesus, that you could come back, navigate that veil between life and death, that we many times walk into those thin places and are with you in that eternal realm through prayer, through worship, through the celebration of Easter. We're here with you. We are here with you eternally. And so speak to us. Help us journey with the, the people that day who experienced it that first Easter and help us experience it in our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I find the verbs in this account fascinating. It is perhaps the journey that all of us take in our lives. And it is journey, in fact, that helps us to understand how does a person come to believe that which they thought was an idle tale. The first verb is, in fact, implied. It is grieving. The women who couldn't sleep got up early before dawn, that first day that it was legal in their Jewish custom to touch a dead body. You couldn't do it on the Sabbath or the special Sabbath that was that weekend. They're carrying spices. And the Greek word there I love is aroma. They were carrying aromas. They needed to change the aroma of the body and the aroma of their grief. It was overwhelming. Now, if we're honest, that's where all of us start our journey. Life is full of grieving. The stench of death, the emptiness of loss, the disappointments of love. We all would like some kind of aromatherapy that could heal those wounds with which we share. But aroma on a dead body, spices on a body are kind of like mouthwash trying to cover up alcohol or perfume covering tobacco. The attempt creates something that is neither pleasant nor honest. It is as though our grieving takes on an additional sorrow as we try to mask the honest experiences of our lives. But in our grief, we, we do what we can. The woman... They got up early. They brought aromas with them to spice the dead body. Like the women, we keep busy when we're grieving. We do the things that are necessary. But when they got there, we come to our second verb. When they found the tomb empty... Luke says, they were perplexed. The Greek word there means to be without any sense of knowing what to do. Nothing has prepared you for this moment. You haven't got the resources. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do next. Life is often that way, isn't it? We're often perplexed, overwhelming. We're doing what we can, when we can. But even then, we know it's not enough. If there is anything you should be able to count on, it's that a dead body would be dead and it would be lying there where it was placed. But what happened next 
is that verb terrifying. As though tombs are not scary enough, into that darkness a light shone so bright that it was like the stars themselves that had entered the tomb. The verb comes from two Greek words meaning to be in fear, in phobia. It is similar to our concept of falling in love. But the state of being in love is an experience of cozy warmth as we're captivated by the presence of another person. But to be in phobia is to be captured emotionally and to be so overwhelmed as to not know how to respond. We are into fear and we are captured by that fear. How often fear does that to us? We fall into it. We didn't expect it any more than we expected to fall in love. But suddenly fear has captured our thoughts, our minds. We go into that irrational state of fearing everything or, or everyone. The phobias of life. It's interesting that most often when we read the words, fear not, in the Bible, it's when God breaks into our grief and our perplexity and he's trying to give us the help that we need so we know what to do and where to go and, and what to experience. He sends two angels dressed in starlight. That's what dazzling literally means. But our usual response to God showing up in our fear is to be so overwhelmed with a terrifying sense of fear that we don't know what to do. We even miss the stars of Easter as we recognize the star rise of the sun. It terrified them. And it terrifies us when God shows up. We're not ready for that. We want it to kind of come slower. We often think that if God would show up with a miracle that then it would be easy to believe. If he just rose some, raised somebody from the dead, I, I would believe in him. But I've watched people experience miracles. I've seen miracles time after time in people's lives. I've seen the hand of God at work in marriages and bodies and families. And it's interesting to me that a miracle in itself does not bring light. Sometimes it just brings perplexity if they're walking in darkness. It scares them that things aren't as cut and dried as they thought they were and as the, the medical world would have us think. A tomb is a disturbing place when light shows up. It's more phobia than Easter. But thankfully... Most often, our next verb in this spiritual journey is to remember. To remember the promises of God when we were sitting in that service and studying the scripture or when we're in a Bible study or in our personal devotions, we began to put the word of God into our hearts and minds. That first Easter morning should not have been a morning of grieving, perplexity, terrif terrifying. It should have been hopeful, joyful, expectant. They should have shown up early in the morning because they remembered what Jesus said. On the third day, he's going to rise again. He's going to bring life out of death. They should have shown up with expectation, not with spices. They should have shown up with the trust in the one rather than sorrow. 
But the women that day were, were like you and like me. In the dark, we forget the light. In our grief, we forget our hope. In our fear, we forget God's promises. Even after almost 2,000 Easter Sunday mornings, where we have gathered to remember all that God is capable of doing in our lives, and that this world is in his plan, his story, and that it's going to all work together for good, it's interesting that even after 2,000 years of doing this, that humanity is still afraid and afraid of what will happen in this world. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says. Remember what I've said to you. Our ability to trust God in the most difficult times of life are based on remembering. And that takes us, of course, to the verb believe. But in the text, we are told that even after these women, trusted women who hadn't lied to them before, came running up and told them that Jesus is alive, they knew, they knew it couldn't be true. It was an idle tale. Aleros is the Greek word from which we get the word delerios. It was nonsense. They would not fall for that any more than you or I will fall for a fake email. They were just going to delete it and remove it. It was too good to be true, and you know what that means. The nine would not trust or have faith in such aleros. It was deliriously nonsense. But there was one person, and in the Gospel of John... We know that it was two, both Peter and John, who, and we have the, the final verbs in this wonderful collection. They ran, they stooped, they looked, they saw, and they were amazed. I love that. It, it's just so true to life. We run toward that which is amazing. But we have to first get there. We have to stoop. We have to humble ourselves. We have to look for ourselves and see. And then allow the amazing truth of God to permeate our lives. Such that we're never the same again. Never the same again. For we've seen God in all of his resurrection power at work. We know the risen one. That's what we're doing today. I don't know if you ran to church. I know some of you ran up from the beach breakfast. But we ran and we've bowed ourselves. We've been humble before God. We're listening. We're allowing him to change the categories of what we know to be true and we know is impossible. We're allowing ourselves, of course, to see the amazing one who defeated death itself. And we're allowing ourselves to experience God. Now, I don't know who you identify with in this story. Perhaps you're the woman who went out of grief and in that grief met starlight, met the risen one. Or perhaps you're the disciples Maybe you're one of the nine that just simply finds it so hard to 
reconcile with a scientific materialistic worldview that you just can't imagine there being more to life than that and it's impossible or perhaps you're one of the disciples that ran whatever your initial response I would encourage you to be the disciples who run and see for yourself who touch God let him touch you let him know you let him transform you. We serve the risen one. We don't serve a, a teacher who taught long ago, however intelligent or thoughtful his wisdom and his guidance. We serve life itself. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We serve the one who, who came that we might have abundant truth and abundant life. And so in this season, we are, of course, aware that when we get to the tomb, as these two disciples did, that we will realize he's not where the dead are. He's where the living are. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Let's sing once more to the risen one. Let's stand together. <laughs>